The following message is by Pastor Eric Ludi. More information about the church at Ellerslie is available at www.ellerslie.com. I have no idea what this message is going to be like for you. Uh, I know what it's been like for me preparing it uh, all week long. It's been uh, a uniquely challenging one for me. Even last night, Leslie and I were on our date, and we were in Starbucks sitting across the table from each other, talking about some of the key themes in this message, and both of us were trembling, not for you, for us. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is serious stuff, and could we put up the title so everyone can be sort of prepared? Of Pink Ribbons and a Bloody Cross. Sounds like a very friendly message. Uh, You notice I didn't say of pink ribbons and a cross. I added the adjective bloody to make sure that we were creating a distinction here uh, between the two. And for some of you that don't realize this is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month that I am choosing to give this message. That's not an accident. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have counted the cost, and I am going straight into the den of lions. Warning, where this message might be accused of being calloused, unfeeling, judgmental, condemning, unloving, lacking in compassion, insensitive, harsh, belittling, and hateful, it's not. The question is, do you believe me? However, here are five things that are true about it. It's crammed full of the manly stuff. So if you're not attracted to the manly stuff, this will be a very repulsive message. If you really like the manly stuff, you're going to love this message. It makes fun of the color pink. It openly talks about the subject of hell. It's outrageously politically incorrect, and it's terribly uncool. Mainly, it's politically incorrect and it's terribly uncool. Why? Because it's crammed full of the manly stuff, it makes fun of the color pink, and it openly talks about the subject of hell. That's what it's not supposed to do. And that's why we're pressing forward. Pinkwashing. You guys know what pinkwashing is? Pinkwashing. Now, I'm not terribly adept at what's taking place in the culture. I don't spend any time watching television. I don't read newspapers. You'd think, yeah, I'm completely out of touch. When I was dealing with a Moody podcast or Moody broadcast, they would give, um, I I did one every week for them. It was three minutes long. And they wanted current events to be discussed. I honestly have no interest in dealing with current events. I mean, here I was, we were dealing with the election between uh, Obama and McCain. And I want to talk about my son. I want to talk about how he's, his heart for orphans is, is budding. And so I turn in a, a podcast on that, and basically it was somewhat awkward, but they were saying, uh, you know, I'm sure you have a wonderful family and all, but we really want you to be addressing issues that everyone can relate to. Everyone needs to be able to relate to things beyond just the massive cultural issues to get down to the everyday nitty-gritty how you live the Christian life in your own closet, in your own family. If we can't live it right there, then that is the number one explanation of why we have the current president on the throne of America. It's because we are failing in our individual lives when no one is looking. 
Those are the issues that matter most to the present-day Christians. Not how you vote, but how you're living privately before Jesus Christ. Who is he to you? Are you yielding to him? Are you bending your knee before him? Pinkwashing is a phenomenon that has taken over our country, and you've all seen it, but maybe you just don't know what it is. The reason I found out about pinkwashing is because I was so disturbed by it that I decided to finally search it out a little. But basically, you ever go into a supermarket and everything is suddenly pink? Things that used to be all manly and strong are suddenly pink, and they have a little bow on them, or a little ribbon, technically, because they're standing for breast cancer awareness. Okay, I know I already sound calloused and unfeeling. But I'm noticing that suddenly my cereal is pink. Suddenly my blenders are pink. Suddenly, you know, the dog food bag is pink. Suddenly the Green Bay Packers are pink. When that happens, you know things have gone too far. Pinkwashing, it's a corporate maneuver to identify with the most politically correct cause in America today, which is the cause of breast cancer. And if you wear pink, you are on the inside track. You are one of the select few that have a true heart. It's the equivalent of being green and being environmentally conscious today. If you are pink, you are right and you are correct. Pinkwashing, this is just a quick overview. Pink NFL jerseys, pink breakfast cereal, pink clothes, pink cell phone cases, pink office supplies, pink bottles of wine, and pink KitchenAid blenders. There are hundreds, and there could be thousands for all I know, of corporations that are identifying themselves with a pink ribbon. You drive down the road here and you see pink ribbons everywhere. Now, let me stop there for a second. I am a tremendous man of empathy for someone who is struggling with any disease. This has nothing to do with the fact that people are struggling with breast cancer. This has to do with a classic Redirection. It's called a cloud of smoke. In battle, you send out troops over here a small amount to cause the enemy to think that you're going to flank them on this side. Meanwhile, you bring in your whole force on this side. This is a misdirect. This is a redirect. This is a distraction. The issue and the problem with humanity is not breast cancer. There is a deeper issue, and if we don't deal with the deeper issue, who cares if we have women that are healed of breast cancer if they end up in eternal, fiery torment forever? This is no small matter. So this has nothing to do with the fact that Eric is insensitive to breast cancer patients. This has nothing to do... I I, I care about... I care about any cancer... Any debilitating disease that wipes out the ability for a human to function correctly the way God intended them to function. If someone has a limp and they're unable to walk correctly, I care about it. So it has nothing to do with an insensitivity to something specific or a specific disease. Pinkwash and the Green Bay Packers. This is from a little public service announcement. The Green Bay Packers and Kohl's department stores will recognize Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October 3rd, against the Detroit Lions, which was, this was last week, with Lambeau Field. This is the most manly man domain possibly on planet Earth is Lambeau Field. Okay, now I, this isn't the version of masculinity that I support, by the way. However, this is the irony of ironies that pink has somehow bled so deeply into our culture that it has reached Lambeau Field. That's where the irony is here. 
against the Detroit Lions with Lambeau Field and Packers players prominently featuring the color pink in several ways. Fans will be involved from the start when they receive pink Coles Cares rally towels as they enter the stadium and then see cheerleaders, pink jackets, and Tundra Line members, pink hats, supporting or sporting the color. At halftime, the Oneida Nation dancers will be wearing pink jingle dresses while performing a healing dance in recognition of the month. I'm sure that's going to be very effective. <laughs> Other pink elements fans will notice include pink ribbons, stencils on Lambeau Field, pink wall banners, pink goalpost padding, special game balls with pink ribbon decals, a pink coin used for the coin toss, and pink trim sideline caps for coaches and team personnel. Players will be using and wearing pink equipment, including pink cleats, wristbands, gloves, sideline caps, helmet decals, sideline towels, and quarterback towels. Game officials will be wearing pink caps and pins. I am tired of the color pink. It's enough. We are focusing on the wrong thing. We are immersing this culture and distracting us from what really matters. Is God so interested in pink that he wants to decorate everything on earth with it so he can say, this is the issue? Please, everyone, redirect your attentions from me. Focus them here. We have a problem known as breast cancer. This is outrageous. Humanitarianism, the counterfeit of true Christian work. You know, if you think it was politically incorrect what I just said about breast cancer awareness... Just brace yourself, because it's going to get worse. Because I'm taking on humanitarianism. Humanitarianism is the ultimate do-gooder thing. This is what we applaud people for. People that are focused on helping the needy and, and the, uh, the animals that don't have shelter and food. People that are dealing with the environment. People that are helping even the causes that are in agreement with the word of God. Angelina Jolie outpaces almost the entire Christian church in her heart for orphans. It's humanitarianism, but it's a counterfeit of the very real thing that is in Scripture, that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be participating in. Recognizing a humanitarian cause. So here's our checklist. So if you want to figure out what a humanitarian cause is, here's our checklist for discerning it. Is there an injustice? Is there a human, animal, or plant suffering? Is someone or something experiencing vulnerability, difficulty, or the effects of human barbarity? If yes, then, can the problem be solved through human ingenuity and the practical efforts of human beings laboring together, sacrificing money, and volunteering service? We see a problem. Can this problem be addressed if all of us band together in our human strength and our human ingenuity, and we rally together and we say, we can figure this out. We can help them. If yes, then, would the goodness of humankind be praised and exalted through such a work? Would confidence in the kindness, compassion, sweetness, and loveliness of humankind be strengthened if success was gained? You ever heard that? My confidence in humanity has been restored. You heard that statement? We as Christians say it a lot too. My confidence in humanity has been restored. Why? Because they did a humanitarian deed. And it was shocking to us that someone would actually think of someone else. 
If yes, then this is a humanitarian cause. Now, I am actually calling that a counterfeit of true Christian work. Yet what most of you just saw was everything that you would stand up and applaud and encourage someone to give their life to. Go, spend your time doing that. And I'm saying that there is something greater. There is a greater cause. There is a greater purpose for our lives as Christians. Christianity, the genuine work of God evidenced on earth. Recognizing a Christian cause. Here's our checklist. Is there a place or a situation on earth where Christ's glory is being obscured? A place where Christ is not being evidenced as the only cure, as the only solution, as the only rescuer? Is there a place or a situation where devilish lies hold stronghold and heavenly truth is lost? Or are there souls left vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy without protection, without the comfort of truth, without provision, without hope of salvation? If yes, then... Has God clarified that this place or situation of dire spiritual need is at the center of his attentions? Has God made it clear that this is the place where his heart beats and his compassion resides? Is this a place, a work, a labor of God's choosing? If yes, then. By laboring here in this place or situation of dire spiritual need, would confidence in the kindness, goodness, compassion, sweetness, and loveliness of God be strengthened if obedience is offered? Would this work be for his glory and his glory alone? Christian work is to draw the attentions of a world to Jesus Christ. He is your answer. Lost world, dying and diseased, crippled, lame. He is your answer, not me. But I will give you all that he is. These hands are his hands and they will wash you. This mouth is his mouth and it will speak encouragement and blessing over you. These feet are his feet and they will run errands on your behalf. This fist is his fist and it will fight off the invaders. It will break the shackles in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory. Don't turn to me as your answer. He is your answer. He is your savior. He is your rescuer. If so, then, this is squarely where the Christian must labor. This is a Christian cause. Is there really a difference between the two? I just named two different things. Humanitarian work and Christian work. Some of you are saying, well, you're still doing the same thing. I mean, someone is hungry. Didn't didn't the humanitarian, didn't the Christian both bring them food? Someone has breast cancer. Didn't you both bring them a hot meal when you found out and send them a nice card saying we're praying for you and this one said I'm thinking about you? I mean, what's the real difference? It's still just humans responding to plight. Yes, there is a huge difference. The diabolical problem with humanitarianism is this. Humanitarianism is an affront to Jesus Christ. It seeks to demonstrate a salvation, a rescue, a form of deliverance that can be worked without the cross. It seeks to justify and prove human righteousness without the need of Christ's blood. It seeks to purify and wash the stained human conscience conscience through acts of human goodness. It declares that the world can be saved and that peace can be gained through a means other than the life of God imparted. 
Humanitarianism is a declaration that man is sufficient outside of Jesus Christ. And that the only savior we need is human goodness and compassion. If all of us can unite as humans, we can demonstrate the goodness that the Christians say is only God's. But we can demonstrate that in and of ourselves we are sufficient to meet the needs of human plight. And we as Christians respond and say, no, there is only one that can meet that need. And it is Jesus Christ. The reason your God came to this earth and took on human flesh, suffered and died, was not trivial. It was because it was the only way for us to be rescued. There is no other way outside of Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, that has grown politically incorrect in a country that used to be a Christian nation. Jesus is the only answer for every plight on planet Earth. And we as Christians are bearers of that answer. There is only one way. And humanitarianism isn't that way. Humanitarianism is the counterfeit replacement masquerading as the savior on planet earth. And it is not the savior. Therefore, we cannot stand by silent and idly and let it replace our God. Are you in search of a cure? There's races for cures. There's marathons for cures. There's the three-day event for the cure. Are you in search of a cure? Look at my little subtitle to this one. Boy, do I have a cure for you. Everyone is saying they're looking for a cure. What, what are we doing about it as Christians? We're sitting there going, yes, that would be really good to have a cure. Bless you, researchers. Bless you, scientists. Bless you, $1.5 billion raised. May you go to some good out there and somehow find an answer. The answer is already there. What are we doing about it? This is ridiculous. People are racing around for a cure. We should be running the race for the cure. The cure has been found. It's had, it's there, it's available. And we run our race to demonstrate the power and the efficacy of it on earth. Introducing the cure for any and all human ailments. His name is Jesus. He isn't a support group for the hurting. He isn't merely a hug of comfort to the fearful. He isn't a research grant in hopes of one day finding a solution for our ailment. He isn't a Hallmark card letting us know he is thinking about us while we waste away in misery and mournful defeat. He isn't a pink ribbon reminding us that if we all work together, maybe one day a cure can be found for our problem. He is the cure. And he ever lives to make intercession for us, which means he ever lives to stand in the gap and to be our strong defender, our physician, our rescuer. He has the answer that we need. He is the practical, real-world answer to every last difficulty we may face. He is not merely an emotional or psychological placebo for the intellectually feeble. He is a promise given, a living hope a life imparted, our personal rescuer, our great and nimble-handed physician, our healer. The cure is revealed in Scripture. Now, there's a lot more. This is just a quick summary because this isn't even my message. Little do you know what my message is. 
He is a refuge and fortress to all of us that are his, a deliverer from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence, a preserver from every plague. He is health to our bodies and strength to our bones. He is a light that breaks forth like the morning, bringing the speedy healing power of heaven. He is health and healing. He has healing in his wings to make us strong. He is the gospel of the kingdom incarnate, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. He is a healer of those who have need of healing. He is always going about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. He is the cure, the healing for the individual who believes as well as for the nations who bend their knees to him. He is the cure and there is no need to seek another. My 11 beefs with pink ribbons. Okay, now, some of these are personal, and I don't want you to think of them as spiritual. Okay, and I think I start out with one. So let's just get this one out of the way. I'm tired of the color pink. I really am. I don't wear pink as a normal thing. I actually have a pink shirt. I was thinking of wearing it today, but it's not totally pink. It has like a pink shade to it, uh, and I decided against it. Uh, how, how am I supposed to give the manly stuff uh, while I'm wearing pink today? Uh, but I'm tired of the color pink. The whole thing seems like a marketing gimmick to me, and it's no offense to those of you that have supported it over time, but it really bothers me because it seems like everyone wants in. You know, Yoplait yogurt has a pink yogurt, right? And they say, if you send in your yogurt top, they will donate 10 cents to the cause. You know that it costs you 37 cents to send in that Yoplait top? That's a bizarre, ridiculous reality. Something isn't right about this. It seems like a marketing gimmick. I don't think, this is three, I don't think that anyone involved in this campaign actually wants to find the cure. I know that's a seeming judgment from the outside. It feels this way. Why? 1.5 billion has been raised. That's the largest private foundation in the history of the world. If you were sitting on such a gold mine and suddenly the cure was found, you might want to hide it. If that cure is found, suddenly you have no cause to raise that money for. All your job, I mean, you work full time for this. You lose your job. You work yourself out of a job. Because once they do, there goes the money machine. Number four, it's suddenly avant-garde and hip to be pink. And honestly, that's kind of embarrassing. Number five, it's it's political and social suicide to not be pink. Obviously, I'm not going to do a good job running for president after this message. Could you imagine they dig this up out of the archives? It's like I'm making my run. I'm like, vote Ludi for president. And then they bring up this. This The whole smear campaign is based on my attack against pink ribbons. Number six, everyone is longing to find a cure. Meanwhile, the cure has been around for 2,000 years. You want to start getting under my skin? These are the ones that start getting under my skin. Everyone's longing for it. Well, it's there, and it's been around for 2,000 years. Number seven, the issue of breast cancer is a temporal issue and not an eternal matter. It focuses us, us on human physical health and comfort as the prime focus of our time, energies, and resources and distracts us from dealing with the much more important issues of the human soul and spirit. It doesn't mean the body and the health of the body is, has no value. It does. But let us make sure that our priority pattern is correct. We as Christians are not just interested in seeing healthy bodies in the church. We're interested in healthy souls and spirits. Number eight, 
It doesn't turn the woman suffering with breast cancer to Jesus as her answer. It turns her toward the Coleman Foundation and the researchers laboring hard to find a different solution outside of God for her plight. Oh, if those researchers could just do it. We're cheering you on, researchers. Jesus has done it. They're not turning our eyes to him. They're saying that there's another cure needed and they're not turning us to the cure. Nine, it's all about woman power and not about God power. It's about empowering and enabling the feminist agenda and the outrageous designs of Planned Parenthood. One of the number one things that they direct their money to is to Planned Parenthood. What does that have to do with breast cancer? This is an agenda far beyond breast cancer. It is a feminist agenda to strengthen the platform of femininity, not a healthy version of it, on earth. It encourages a woman to be strong outside of God. That's what feminism is. I'm very interested in a woman being strong, by the way. You could call me a feminist. I'm just the wrong version of one. I aim women towards being strong in Jesus Christ, not strong outside of God. Rather than cheering a woman to be strong because of God. Ten, it's a purely humanitarian effort and not a Christian one. It's for the glory of united humanity and not for the glory of Jesus Christ. Eleven, here's the kicker. A good percentage of those that are pink are Christians. We are the ones enabling the machine I expect the world to look for a solution outside of Jesus Christ. I expect the world to encourage others to seek a cure if they don't know that Jesus is the cure. But for those that should know the cure, how dare we encourage others to go and seek a cure somewhere else outside of Jesus Christ? Dealing with real world difficulties, because we have them. Breast cancer, world hunger, 148 million orphans, 27 million slaves, illiteracy, street children, the vulnerable elderly, blindness, deafness, deformities. The Christians should have more concern for these issues than anyone else on planet Earth. For these are concerns on God's heart. The Christians should be laboring hard, giving time, strength, energy, and resources to the causes. But what they bring is not themselves a solution, but Jesus Christ. We are not bringing ourselves. We are not uniting together and saying, if just we as humans could unite. No, we say, our God is able. Our God is able. God, use us as the church to show that you are sufficient to meet every need. Answer every plight and question that the human will face. He can do it. And that's our position, is we believe he can In every situation named above, we as Christians, which is breast cancer, orphans, slavery, so on, we as Christians desire and seek physical healing, practical restoration, and correction of injustice. But our motive for this is different than the humanitarian motive. Our desire for a breast cancer victim, for instance, is that they be healed, comforted, and helped by Jesus Christ. And that in the process, they and those around them witness the goodness, love, and power of Jesus Christ and behold the work of the cross. We want to see the breast cancer victim whole and healthy in Jesus and not just whole and healthy. You just hear that? You know how much trouble I can get in for what I just said there? We want to see the breast cancer victim whole and healthy in Jesus, not just whole and healthy. 
because outside of Jesus, then they still end up unhealthy for eternity. What good are we doing here on earth if we save the body and lose the soul? We as Christians are supposed to see the big picture. We're not motivated just to help heal someone's ankle or wrist or breast cancer. We're interested in seeing their soul need met by Jesus Christ. And until it is met, we labor. We are burdened for the lost. We care deeply. We are moved to our knees. We will do whatever is necessary to see that soul gain for Jesus Christ. Not just their body made whole. The Christian end game is Jesus. It's seeing people given to Jesus Christ. It is not that Christians don't desire a cancerless society. It's not that we don't want to see the eradication of poverty. It's not that we don't want to see the obliteration of human slavery. But we want to see the cancer victims, the impoverished and the enslaved, find their hope in Jesus Christ and his saving work. We want to see them rescued by him. For he is their cure. He is their physician. He is their savior. He is their deliverer. And there is no need to seek another. Some perspective, please. An estimated 1,252 women around the earth die each day from breast cancer. That's a lot, by the way. That's a startling number. And it would cause many of us to say, this is a big deal. It is a big deal. 1,252 women a day? It would be nice to have a cure, wouldn't it? An estimated 150,000 people around the earth die each day without Jesus Christ. 120% more people daily, 1,478,000, 1, are dying with the disease of sin than with the disease of the body. You know how significant that number is? Don't go after the 1,200 and lose the 150,000 to hell. Now, for those of us that don't fully recognize why, when I say it is a lot more significant, if we could choose, if God set a choice up in front of us and said, you choose, Eric, to live with cancer on this earth, but to be saved from hell, or to be cancer-free on earth and to spend eternity in hell, you choose, Eric, which one do you want? There isn't a one of us in here, if we'd be held hell for what it truly is, that would ever dream of choosing being cancer-free so that we could be tormented for eternity. This is smallish next to this. Eternity, everlasting fire and torment. This isn't small, which is why we need to talk about it. Hell. That is a very unattractive word, isn't it? It disturbs us. It is one of the hardest things to preach on. And I tell you what, I've been trembling with even the notion of bringing it up. Not because I don't mention it in here. It's a very real Christian construct. Every single one of us knows about it. You know that a lot of Christians actually don't believe that hell is actually a real place? They believe it's a theoretical place of punishment. In other words, you're just cut off from God and then you sort of dissipate into nothingness. Some people don't actually have a doctrinal basis for their thought. They just feel that it would be, it couldn't be, God, God wouldn't do that to people. Everlasting, never-ending, 
unanesthetized, which means it's not pain-free. It's full of every degree of pain imaginable. Ever conscious, which means you're not knocked out and in a dreamland. You're ever conscious. Full of pain, torment, pain, and suffering. Everlasting. Not just one week. Not just a lifetime. You know, 80 years is a long time. We, we, we talk about how long 80 years is. It goes by fast. When you start to get in your 70s, you're like, boy, that life went by fast. But when you're in your teens and 20s, it's like, boy, life is long. Okay, so take 80 years. Could you imagine 80 years of never-ending pain and suffering? Far worse than any pain you'd ever feel on earth. Without any reprieve. Without any pain relief. There is no drug in hell that you can take off the shelf. There is no doctor that you can see that can prescribe some type of anesthesia so that the pain would be numbed, so that as you're being drilled into, you wouldn't feel it. It says in Scripture that the wrath of God is poured out without mixture, which means without dilution. There's an ever-consciousness. On earth, if you're being tortured, you know what happens to you? You pass out. In hell, you don't. A thousand years, a hundred thousand years, a million years, a billion years, a trillion years. What's your life like? It's the same, and you cannot escape it. This is so outrageous to the human mind, we cannot even comprehend it, which is why we cut it off and we ignore it as opposed to realizing that we as Christians are being rescued from this. This is actually what we deserve, and there was no hope for us to escape it. You want to know how good the good news is? Stare in hell for one day, and you will never forget it. And you will cling to your Jesus and say, don't let me go, please. It's eternal damnation, eternal judgment, vengeance and eternal everlasting fire. Shame and everlasting contempt, everlasting punishment, everlasting destruction. It is not for a week, it is not for a year. It is everlasting. The same word, everlasting and eternal, same word used of God's everlasting nature. So if you think that God is just going to cease after a year, after a thousand years, after a billion years, it's the same word. Everlasting chains. The smoke of the torment ascendeth up forever and ever. It's torment day and night forever and ever. It's the wrath of God poured out without mixture. And no rest is offered day or night. Give me a little reprieve here. You know, most people that take their life on earth, what they're looking for in death is a reprieve. Because the pain is so constant and they want out. They need to get away from it. This is far worse. There is no deadening agent. There is nothing that you can take to lessen its mixture of wrath poured out upon your life. And there is no break from the horror, from the nightmare, and from the pain forever and ever and ever. The five prisons within the earth. I'm going to try and go through this as quickly as I can because this isn't necessarily what I want to focus on, but I want to at least get a healthy understanding of how hell works. It's one of those topics we don't like to talk about, so if Eric's going to whip it out of the bag, I better at least create a context for it. 
I know this seems strange. Some of the things, when I was talking to the students this past summer about angelic beings, and I was talking about the fact that we call them all angels, but actually there's different creatures in heaven. Some are known as angels, but some are cherubim and some are seraphim. It actually never says in the Bible that angels have wings, which is a really strange thing, but seraphim and cherubim do have wings. Cherubim have four. Seraphim have six. The cherubim have four faces. The face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. Well, that's strange. You know what they were made? They were created before the ox, the eagle, and the lion were created. That means it's more accurate to say that the eagle, the lion, and the ox were crafted after the cherubim than the cherubim being crafted after the eagle, ox, or lion. It's strange when you begin to realize this is actually what Scripture says. We have our mental images, but we need to realize Scripture is right. Whatever it says is just accurate. So we start talking about this. This is a little strange. The five prisons within the earth. I had a tough time figuring out what to call this. The five departments, compartments, prisons. I don't know what to call it. But in the earth, there's direct reference over and over again that hell is in the earth. But again, it's a little strange. What's it doing there? Did you ever hear about that mining company that was drilling and suddenly they heard all these screams coming out of the earth? I wasn't there. I have no idea. I can't validate it and verify it. But... You know what? It's actually more accurate than some things I've heard because that's actually where it is. So the five prisons within the earth, not just one prison, five. Tartarus, as referenced in 1 Peter 3, 2 Peter 2, and Jude 6. The Greek is Tartaro. The Greeks always called it Tartarus. In their Greek mythology, the Titans, in their war and their rebellion against Zeus, when they lost, were thrown into the prison known as Tartarus. Where do they get that from? That's the same term that Peter is using to describe where the fallen angels prior to the flood that slept, not just the ones that agreed with Lucifer against God, because those are known as demons, but these are a different breed that were actually, they didn't just defy God, but then they went down and tried to corrupt mankind. And they slept with women. And those are the ones that are in Tartaro, in the Greek. I know that sounds strange, but that's the special place. We have... A special prison seemingly designed exclusively for fallen angels who sinned before the flood. We have no evidence that men or demons ever end up there. Satan doesn't, isn't sent there. Uh, the beast and the false prophet aren't sent there. So just take it from me. It's just a little awkward, uh, but that's a place. God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tartaro. It's a different word for hell here in 2 Peter. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And this is in the context is talking about the pre-flood angels that did this. Then we have Abraham's bosom, okay, which is also known as paradise. So when Jesus says, I will see to the thief on the cross, I will see you in paradise today. What in the world is he talking about? Because we also have this concept that paradise is a beautiful place. Yet paradise in, on that context is actually in the earth. It is where Jesus descended down to And it's known to the Jews as Abraham's bosom. It's where all those prior to Christ would go. I I know, this is extremely strange. That Jesus would go into the earth and that he would see, and that paradise, because paradise is also mentioned two other times in scripture and it's mentioned differently because Paul went up to the third heaven and paradise is mentioned in that. So there seems to be a paradise in heaven or known as a garden or a beautiful lush garden. And then we also have this, okay? And it's two different contexts, two different ideas. One is Abraham's bosom. So this is one of the five prisons, okay? 
Paradisos, Abraham's bosom, until the rescue of Christ, this was the abode of the righteous after physical death, where they were held captive by the devil against their will, until Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. It is now empty of the righteous who were led out through the triumphant ascension of their great Savior. Luke 16. I'm just going to read this so it'll answer a lot of this by itself. Here's, you know, we have Jesus talking. So this is Jesus himself giving clarification of Abraham's bosom. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. There it is. Abraham's bosom is where Lazarus was carried. What a strange thing that is. Which is paradise. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes. He went to Hades. He went to a different compartment. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Talking about two different prison cells, but there's a gulf between them. One is where the righteous went, and the other is where the unrighteous went. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. There's no way of passing this gulf. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, this is the rich man. I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that, may, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Abraham say unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And ironically, one named Lazarus did rise from the dead. And guess what? They sought a way to kill him. They didn't want to believe. Jesus, the one speaking the story, rose from the dead, and they rejected him out of hand. Having someone come back from Abraham's bosom and testify means nothing to those that want to live in their sin. But the place that the rich man went is a prison cell of such great torment that he cried out across the gulf and said, please send someone back to my five brothers that they would know not to come here. Please may they know that this is real. We need someone to speak to us how real this is for our own life, for our own soul, and for every soul that doesn't know it that isn't here today. They need us to speak the realities of the eternal realm. I've said this to you before, but remember what William Booth said when he was talking about the significance of discipleship and he was talking about how he discipled his young men and women. He said, if I could finish up the discipleship correctly and to truly be able to send them out with a heart for the lost, he said, I would have them hang over the pit of hell for 24 hours and hear the screams. Then they would be ready. I told Leslie last night, I said, 
That's exactly what I need. I'm scared to death to admit it to God, but I need that. I care, and I feel what I'm talking about is very real to me, but I need to see this beyond the veil. I need to know. I need to be moved and burdened at the depths of my soul instead of just have head knowledge about hell. I need to know that men and women are actually there screaming. If suddenly the veil was removed and the screams were suddenly echoing in and through this chamber and we heard it and we beheld it and then it was gone, would we be the same? That's what life outside of Jesus Christ gets forever. What would we do? What would our response be? Hell. This is one of the chambers. It's also known as Hades, a torment chamber within the earth where wicked souls have always gone and will always go until the resurrection at the close of the millennium. Then the wicked will be brought out of this chamber to be reunited with their resurrected bodies and summarily be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. So if you thought hell was bad, at the very end, you get your body back. You know that not just us do we get our body back. A resurrected body is what it's known as. So do they. Those that rejected Jesus get a body back. The resurrection of the dead. What a strange thing that is. The abyss or the bottomless pit. Abaddon or Abyssos. This appears to be the abode of demons. No human soul and spirit is ever ever associated with the abyss. The Old Testament refers to this place as Abaddon. I'm not even going to read it. Revelation 9. All these notes, by the way, are online if you want to download them and spend time studying this wonderful, uh, edifying topic. This talks about those that are released out of the pit uh, at the end, after the end of the thousand years. They actually come out, and they're like scorpions, uh, killing whoever they can and tormenting them. So that's a nice, um, wonderful thing to ponder. The lake of fire. So the fifth chamber, the lake of fire. I don't know how the lake of fire works. All I know is that it's real. This is the everlasting eternal prison for Satan, the beast, the false prophet, death, and hell, all fallen angels, demons, and wicked men. It is the same as Gehenna. It is the final hell prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A pink ribbon or a bloody cross? Where does your hope lie? What's your badge for hope? Do you wear a pink ribbon to encourage the world? No, we can unite together. I believe. Do you believe we can find a cure? Do you believe that if we all work together that there can be a cure for our fate and our misery and our plight? Is that your badge? Are you marked by a pink ribbon? Or the symbol of blood. Joshua 2. Don't read this yet. I'm going to explain it. The Israelites are marching into judgment on the land of Canaan. The wrath of God has reached its limits, and now the Israelites are literally going to be the hands of God to come in and bring judgment on the wicked men and women of Canaan. They start with Jericho. 
the famous battle where they, the Israelites march seven times or, or seven days around it, and in the seventh day, blow the trumpet, and it crumbles to dust. But there was a woman in Jericho that actually reached out to help. Even though she was amidst hostile territory, she was amidst wickedness all around, she saw the virtue. She feared the Israelite nation and their God, and she helped the spies that came to figure out how Jericho could be brought down. She brought them in. She helped them escape. And they gave her something in the parting. First of all, a promise, but that promise was based on something known as a scarlet cord in the window. She keeps a scarlet cord that marks her room. And when that wall falls, she and all her family will be spared. We will be blameless of this oath, says the spies from Israel, of yours which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And he sent them away, and they departed. And what did she do? And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. You want to be marked by something? When it all comes down to it and you reach the judgment day, don't whip out a pink ribbon. God, I, I labored to fight against breast cancer and to seek a cure. Do you f- see how ridiculous this is? Do you see how petty it is in light of eternity? Do you have a scarlet cord? Do you have the evidence of the blood of Jesus Christ upon your life? Because that is the thing that saves and nothing else. The scripture's on top in this one. It's a nice new twist. Then said one of them, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and he, and he has shut the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door. Let's just stop there for a second. I want you to be moved in your soul as we meditate upon this today. If you're not moved as we talk about these things, then you need to start crying out to God for the reason why. Why is there a deadness in your soul? Because you need to be stirred. You need to be awakened to the realities of the eternals. For some of you that are already very much alive, this is deeply disturbing to you. In fact, there's part of you that just wants me to shut up and move on. Could we get off the subject? I just need a little time to process what you've already thrown at me because you sort of ruined my day, Eric. These men and women are coming to the door and it's been closed. Remember the days of Noah? The door was closed and once the door was closed, it would not open again. And everyone that was inside the ark was saved. Everyone that was outside was destroyed. When that door closes, everyone on the inside will be saved. But there will be no exceptions on the outside. And they come to the door, they stand without to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not when she are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. 
I don't know which side of that equation you desire to be on, but I tell you what, the full weight of this came crashing down on me last night. Leslie and I were sitting in that coffee shop and it was just like, dear Lord Jesus, if our right hand causes us to sin, may we cut it out, lest our whole body be thrown into hell. Dear Lord Jesus, may we be ones that know you. May we be ones that truly live and abide in your presence. I love Jesus Christ. I esteem him with every fiber of my being. This is not a condemning message to me. This is a sobering message, which means it brings me to a clarity of what matters. I want you to reach out and cling to the scarlet cord, the gift, the purchase of the cross, and say, please, I need this. He says, you can have it freely. He wants you to take it to appreciate it, but he doesn't want you seeking cures outside of him. Christianity comes down to one very simple thing. He is your all in all. He is the solution to your life. He is your redeemer. He is your savior. And no other. You cling to Jesus as your hope. And you will find salvation in the now and in the future. It is not complicated. God isn't looking to make this mysterious. The enemy is the one that wants to make it mysterious. God says it clearly. Give your life to me. Yield. Let me have you. I will save you. He marks our life with scarlet, with his very blood. And the enemy cannot have us. And we will be inside that door when it closes. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. I want you to pause and ponder this reality. This kind and gentle Jesus that holds lambs and little kids is going to be the one bringing the vengeance on all those that know not God. It's him. Same Jesus. This isn't some special version of Jesus where his nice side stays in heaven and then his really mean side suddenly is loosed for a day. Our Jesus has the face of a lamb and that's the way we've encountered him, which is the precious benefit of the gospel. But at the same time, he wears the face of the lion towards all that is sinful and marked by iniquity and darkness. And he has a brazen face against it. The way we are able to enter in and enjoy his soft, lamb-like nature is we allow him to clothe us and to take our sin and wash it. Therefore, we do not experience the lion-like vengeance of his nature. He is a consuming fire and he will burn away all that is chaff. So dear believers, let's come to Jesus as a lamb and let his blood be our sufficiency. Who shall be punished? Oh, I still had more there. On them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Those that believe, he will be admired by them. We will partake of his beauty and his majesty. 
those outside the door will experience his vengeance in everlasting hellfire. What mark do you bear? Do you bear the mark of a pink ribbon? Do you bear the mark of the label of green? Are you protecting the earth? Are you one of the good, good doer, do-gooders on this earth that is making sure that the world around you is patting you on the back saying, you're making good choices? If you're a Christian, you're very likely going to have a difficult time running for office because the political correctness and the definition of our age is dead set against the Christian pattern. We are after souls, not the good opinion of the masses. And when you are after souls and the glory of Jesus Christ and you get up to make a speech, unfortunately, you're going to say things that are going to greatly offend a good majority of those in this country. You have to pick which side you're on. Because Christians throughout the ages experience crosses. They very rarely are applauded by the masses or by the world. Unless the world just happens to turn into a Christian haven. But right now we're not living in such a place. And so you need to realize that to choose the pink ribbon will get you pats on the back. You'll be esteemed by the masses. If some of you have a corporation, you could... You know, use that corporation, stick a little pink ribbon on it. People will buy your product. Because in the process of buying your product, hey, they're supporting the cause. But you put the stamp of a bloody cross on your life. And you'll very likely be rejected. Your product won't sell as well. It's not a very good marketing strategy. It doesn't bring in $1.5 billion for research. But it gets something very good in the end. It gets the fullness of Jesus Christ, the life, the approval, the presence of God. What mark do you bear? And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or on his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now a lot of us have spent time dealing with eschatology and end times and they try and figure out what the mark of the beast is. Let's simplify it down to this because there very likely will be some mark. I have no you know, problem with that as far as a very real thing. It's fine. But there's a mark that you are bearing now in your life. Whether or not it's classified as the beast, it's the world. And it's what sets you up to be vulnerable to take a greater mark upon your life. But as a hallmark, what signifies your allegiance? You wear it on your forehead. Who are you? Who do you belong to? Are you hiding your Christianity? Are you willing to say, I'm with him? We bear the mark of Jesus first, which is why there is no room to put another one. I'm not scared of a mark coming. I'm already marked. The mark isn't the thing to be afraid of. It's choosing the wrong mark. You choose Jesus. He'll hallmark you as his own. He will demonstrate that you are his and the world will persecute you. The world will hate you and despitefully use you and say false things against you and you will be exceeding glad. That's Christianity in a nutshell. A 
final thought. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell is Jesus. You fear him. The one that can kill the body but not kill the soul? Well, let's talk very simply since we're talking about pink ribbons. Breast cancer. It can kill the body. It can't kill the soul. Let's make sure we are after the right cause. It has nothing to do with the fact that we do not want cancer to be eliminated. I am not a fan of it. I've had people in my family tree that have died of it. I'm sure you have too. You're probably very close and intimate with different people that are suffering from its damages and its, and its uh, ill effects. It's a horrible disease. It wastes away the human body. I'm not a fan of that. But that's not what I'm fearing. I fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We are after a much bigger issue, cause. We are not racing to find another cure. We are racing to make sure that the true cure purchased on the cross is revealed to the saints of God and the manifold wisdom and efficacy of this cure is made evidence in and through the church of God to the entire onlooking world. We have a job to do. There are men and women by the droves being thrown into everlasting torment and they have no idea what awaits them. And if we, what was, what was the famous line by C.T. Studd? Some want, to, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to build a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Oh. C.T., I like that. Let's build a rescue shop within a yard of hell so that we can see the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Thank you for listening to this message by Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. More information can be found on our website, www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. Know that we are cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.